In a world full of misery, rage, and insomnia, there's a place you can go to just unwind. All you have to do is take a long walk into the mountains, and just past the black house with the secret garden, you'll find a small cabin. Inside that cabin, you'll find the Hole in the Wall Book Club. So now that the Dreamcatcher's hung and the fire started, we invite you to pull up a chair and join the Losers Club as we explore the world of officious little pricks and shining on. That's my new trick. It's called, uh, it's not new. It's not a new trick at all. It's in my entire life, lowering the expectations of those around me. Okay. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to <laughs> the worst diving. Whoa, 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 book, book. Oh, my God. It was so many chips, it was so dry. <laughs> like, my mouth immediately turned into the desert. Okay. I think the ironic part is this is probably the best we've ever done in an intro. Hello, and welcome to Hold the Wall Book Club. I'm Anthony. I'm Shania. There we go. We did it. Um, God, this feels weird. This is the first time we've, we've recorded since all this started. Mm-hmm. And, um... Yeah, we're back. The Shining. Which, okay, we did chapter 1 through 10 of The Shining. Uh, but I guess to introduce, I think we normally start with... Traditionally, you know, the last two times. I think we start with, like, what's our exposure to the book? Yeah. Uh, this is one I read, like, one of the... This is one of the really, really early ones I read, which meant it was, like, middle school. So I'm in the same place I was with Salem's Lot, where I have a couple vague memories that I don't want to talk about, because I'm pretty sure they're going to end up being entirely wrong, like they were last time. And I... I think I have seen... Mo- the, I think I've seen the movie, but I may have only seen part of the movie. I'm not positive. The Kubrick I, one. Right. Because right. yeah. then there was the King one. That, right. Uh, that once I have once again, seen. I don't know, it was a miniseries or a movie. It was but... really in a miniseries for a while there, though. So. I've seen the movie multiple times. Actually, I immediately made that comparison at the beginning. And as we start, the book is very different at the start. Well... Not exactly, I guess. I guess the doesn't mov- the movie start with the them movie driving. Di- there? The movie does flashback style of this, which is occurring live in the book. Mm-hmm. Which I guess you're getting it either way. But I have never read the book, okay. so the book's completely. I know, un- I guess, unfortunately, some key elements that are different because I have seen comparisons. So right. some big differences. I won't uh, remember those at all. But uh, otherwise, no, I have not read the book. Yeah. So we did first ten chapters. This book does have parts, but they don't seem like they're going to interfere the same way as they did before. No, this is a pretty standard laid out book for once. Yeah, like it felt like a, it's a real book. Like <laughs> I, I, okay, I enjoyed Carrie and Salem's Lot had potential, but this is the first one that kind of just seems like it's following a structure. Like it's not this fragmented mix mix of like chunks of story interrupted by constant news clippings this was actually enjoyable to read and i didn't feel like i hit a brick wall i think the main cause of that is the number of people that's a big part of it yeah i think because this is actually just following a family and like what they interact with i think it's pretty clear Mm -hmm. carrie and salem's lot are done from the perspective of about 100 people right you're bouncing around constantly which made all that kind of hack jobby yeah, and in this... Like, we, all over the place kind of thing. At the start here, like, we meet several people, but we kind of can easily tell which ones we need to keep any mental space for at all. 
like we and you know- meet them in the way you meet them because the some family members meet right. them. Right. Yeah. Right. I guess jumping into it. Uh, part one is Perfactory Matters, which honestly, I honestly think that this was not how this started. I think a big chunk of this was in a prologue, and he went to his editor, and his editor was like, "Dude." <sighs> You gotta fucking stop with the prologue. Just once, just try one without a prologue. And this was the compromise, a part called Perfactory Matters. <laughs> like, that is, that's my vibe. That's my take on this. And I will, I will fight that to the death. It's probably true. Um, but chapter one's job interview. I think the very first words of this book is that officious little prick. Ah, yeah. I was kind of, um, so this is the, yeah, the interview. And it's pretty clear cut. There's a point that I found odd, which was when the guy, like, word for word goes, you know, you think I'm a prick. And I was just like, what? Yeah. So, it's our our main character. Yeah, but is that meant to be interpreted as, like, a... Like what? What? What was that? Why did was? Why did that so weirdly? Like as if they just he just knew. Maybe he's got a bit of the shining. Uh, maybe. So yeah, the guy we're talking about is Almond. This he's, is the this... he's the like mo- the manager of the Overlook Hotel. This is, I guess, maybe probably the first instance of when uh, you encounter the king just making something happen. Yeah. Already. Yeah. Yeah. We get. Uh... You know, I was trying to say the actor's name from The Shining, <laughs> but the name that came to mind was Danny DeVito, and honestly. <laughs> I like it better. <laughs> Honestly, I think I like I like most movies better if Danny DeVito is the lead. I'm trying to think of movies you were a big fan of, but plopping Danny DeVito in the lead of it. Mm, um, I mean, I'd like Donnie Darko better if Danny <laughs> DeVito played either the lead or the rabbit. <laughs> like, I want the rabbit in the same suit, but they didn't tailor it to Danny DeVito at all. So it's like real floppy on the top because he can't get it all the way down and it's just got some flub hanging out that is the movie i want to see that's the the sequel i want okay well you new podcast uh <laughs> we're gonna harass danny devito and whoever wrote donnie darko donnie darko devito like it's right there at the title like <laughs> i don't know I, I think we're a bit off topic uh i'm gonna blame you for that one <laughs> now um i can't remember the actor's name but jack florence is our main character here. yeah and you mean talking about Nicholson? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, okay. Danny Nicholson. <laughs> but it's him talking to Allman, and it, it's all just an excuse for some like dives into. Uh, now I can't get Nicholson out of my head. Into Jack's um, like past a little bit and his general demeanor. Because my God, he says officious little prick in his mind. I believe it was seven hundred times. <laughs> I counted. No, it. And you got the impression that uh, Jack wasn't a fan of Allman, I guess, maybe. Oh, yeah. 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 And yeah. Allman, just, like, just calls him out on that. Yeah. He's like, I don't think you're a fan of me. And I don't give a shit. No one likes me. And through the next couple chapters, everyone you meet that knows Allman, he, he's right. No one fucking likes him. Like, it's just weird. that I, I, I can picture the whole, like, the manager knows it and just says it kind of thing. But what made it so weird is that he made it seem kind of odd was how much he kind of went on about it. Yeah, it was like, hey, he's almost proud of it. I know you know I'm this, but I want to also point out I don't want you to be the keeper. Because obviously, this is the interview. I guess we just kind of pretending people just understand anything else. Yeah. So he's at he's at an interview to do the uh, Overlook Hotels sort of fall into winter season watch because you get stranded up there. You have to have someone stay there the whole time. They have to There's keep like the, forty miles of road that 
just is snowed over. Yeah, and they're up on a mountain. They uh, so they need someone keeping the building warm and so on. So he's obviously applying for this job to watch over. And throughout this, you're given sort of how much he doesn't like Ullman, which I said was weird because Ullman basically doesn't just say, "Yeah, you know, I'm a douche," but then he goes, "I didn't want you here." This is where you find out that the reason he doesn't want him here is because when a family was there the last time, they uh, the husband went kind of cabin feverish, right, and killed his wife, two daughters, and then himself. Yep, <clears throat> and so he's almost afraid. He got into the drink. Yeah, he's he's afraid that actually having like the whole collective family might be related to why that happened when they used to have solo people and that wasn't as bad, I guess. Yeah, and. There's a bit there where Jack's just like, did he graduate high school? Because that sounds like the actions of a dumb dude. And oh, yeah. He he defends himself being like, okay, I know you know I had a drinking problem. Let's get that off the bat right now. I've been clean for I think it was like a year and a half. Something like 16 that. 16 months, something like that. And he kind of goes on to immediately say, like, this is why we're I'm good for it. I've got a play to write. I am the author trope. I need you to understand that right away. Also, I'm going to break away here for a second. Why do so many of Stephen King's authors have writer's block? This might just be my perception on it, but I imagine like Stephen King has to wear like a special glove at night so he doesn't type novels in his sleep. Does he know anything about writer's block? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but yeah, so... Jack's working on a uh, a novel. Um, a play. A play. Sorry, yeah, a play. He wants to teach his son to read. He's basically like, we can keep ourselves occupied. We good. That specific, like, you was, did he graduate from high, uh, high school education thing was specifically stating that, like, the, 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 I was suggesting, like, as if the dumb mind can't find anything to latch on to, and that's why you go stir crazy. Dumb minds are the devil's playthings. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah. So that kind of lulls him over enough, and he's like, "You're getting the job anyway. I've been told you'll get. You know, I'm giving it to you." Yeah, the owner of the hotel was basically like, "Give this dude the job." Yeah, all- it boiled down to Allman couldn't say no, but just wanted to make sure that Jack knew if it was my choice, you motherfucker. Uh, Allman also goes on a fairly decent tangent describing the history of the place. It's never done well. This is the first time it's been doing well. World War II history. It's a big long list, but essentially, it's kind of cursed for all intents and purposes it just doesn't do well the spot it's in makes it very iffy for weather and all that kind of stuff i think he ends up taking him around the um building does does all this bleed into multiple chapters is this just the first Um, he's like doing all that stuff around we we cut from this chapter and to meet the wife and kid and then we cut back to another chapter at the hotel okay i don't think it matters much to even uh, like stick too much on these chapters no. and describing them because this is just like a big chunk of info flowing into the right. thing. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll jump to chapter three and then we'll come back into chapter two because this because chapter one time wise flows directly into chapter three, right? Because that's when uh, chapter three is Watson. He um, Allman gives him the tour of the whole main part of the house and the whole time Jack's like, but what about the boiler room? That's the important part in the winter and. I did like this where Altman's, Altman's like super meticulous and he's like, eh, I got someone to show you that. I don't give a shit. Come on. Let me show you how cool these rooms are. So in chapter three, he goes down to the basement and he meets, was it, is it Walton? Am I saying that right? I can't read my own handwriting. Uh, I'm not sure. That looks like Watson. Yeah. Is Watson. So he meets Watson, who is like, I think the grandchild of the original like 
great-grandson, I great believe, grandson. of the guy who built the place. And Watson does not like Almond. It makes that clear throughout the... I, I mean, everyone seems to make yeah. this clear as we meet them. I know... Okay, so I both read and listened to the audiobook. I need you to listen to the audiobook just of this chapter. The narrator says all of his... Uh, all of Watson's dialogue in a rambly but rapid fire way so it's just strings of colloquial complaints and it's amazing hmm. i love the way this dude talked like he he was the like i we, we often point out like the stephen king euphemism languages and that's where all of it's coming from here there was the one that really got me was the now i'm curious <clears throat> now i'm curious when he did the miniseries who he was in it oh yeah or maybe um, whatever it was. One of my favorite things he said was about all something about Allman, um, where he's like, if uh, if thoughts because if thoughts were gunpowder, he wouldn't have enough to blow his nose. I was oh like, yeah, oh yes, yeah, that, that was, was so good. good. Yeah. But he shows him the boiler room. We get, you know, a good bit of heavy foreshadowing here of like, okay, it's old, it's broken. There's no auto shutoff valve. You have to check it all the time. Be super careful. If this goes above these numbers, you're gonna die. Yeah, this place is going to blow sky high. Yep. Uh, I um, Jack seems particularly obsessed with the pile of papers down there that appear to be like really old records of the place. Mm -hmm. Because he points them out there, asks Watson about them. He says that that's just what they are. They're just thrown down here. At some point, someone should go through them. But you actually see him for some, I think actually towards the end of this first batch of uh, 10 chapters, he actually kind of goes on a weird thing where I think like multiple other times he just randomly conjures up in his head. Oh yeah. The papers in the base. The papers right. The base. Yeah. He, he, so I'm kind of maybe suspecting he goes through them at some point just because it just seems like an awful heavy amount of foreshadowing that he keeps remembering. Well, there's papers down there. Right. In this, we get a tour of the basement, which boils down to the boiler eh, and the like plumbing main like yeah, access. tells him that he's not going to really touch anything, and if they freeze, he just needs to do some heated stuff. And and he also gives like he also starts talking about some uh, stories about people in the hotel. We get a couple of the deaths. Um, was that in this section? Yeah, I think. Yeah, so. we learn about this rich old lady who got her car stolen by like a lover she brought there. Oh yeah, there was, it was one of those like she's eighty and he's twenty five. And they mentioned how you could see the look on his face, how it got like more defeated every time they wandered off after the bar. So you get basically you got that whole like inverted uh, gold digging. Right. And so he's he's there trying to do that. And then eventually he gets so sick. It appears he gets so sick because it's just from sort of the third person perspective. He runs off, grabs the car and just ducks out. And then she freaks out and then just heart attacks. Uh, like she dies from she originally she takes like a bunch of sleeping Sleep pills, pills and, right? And, That's what and it was. She dies in her bathtub, and Allman, along with the husband who's a lawyer, convince the coroner to change it to a heart attack. And um, Walton points out that like he saw that the coroner driving around in a brand new car, and good for him. Oh yeah, you and then do that, what you that do. sort of spawns into sort of the um, creepy lady in the tub. Mm -hmm. That's the haunting part that people will think they see that. I think it like specifically anyone with desires or something. I think he makes a comment about that. Like that's how it works. Yeah, I think so. You're basically kind of getting the entire setup for exactly what you expect Jack to encounter all on the way. Boilers. Woman who's naked in tub. Honestly, I know I'm saying this with the knowledge of having seen the movie. So I'm kind of pointing this out. But 
it's pretty heavy. I mean, he's, yeah, he's really like, foreshadowing this. It's a it's a step below what we got the previous two books, where it's like, <laughs> hey, here's the end. Now let's. Now you're wondering. I bet you're wondering how we got into this position. <laughs> Record scratch. Now just peppered in. Like we get the story of the guy who started drinking real heavily, killed his kids, and then himself. It's like, did did you just? Is that the end? Is that the end of the book? Did you just give us the end of the book again? Thanks, bro. It's doing the heavy for... Uh, this is where we gave it a bit of credit earlier, though. It's at least in the format of a like a legitimate novel, so that even if this is all heavy foreshadowing, you get at least some wriggle room. It's not, yeah, it's one of these... it's not Salem's Lot's prologue that just basically goes, hey, this is the ending of the book, literally. I mean, it... It's one of these things that I'm, I think I'm only pointing out this is so obvious because it's Stephen King and I know he's going to tell me in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. If it was any other author or if this was my first Stephen King book, I probably wouldn't point like be like, come on. Yeah, yeah. So I'll admit my biases here. But um, I think that's the extent of him being in the hotel, actually, because they don't come back. They, they actually get a little bit of a catch up when they finally get there. Right. But yeah, he's got the job, all that stuff. So we can jump back to chapter two. Yes. Boulder. Which I believe is really introduced with Danny on the corner. Yep. He's sitting on the corner, like out of the driveway, onto the corner of the street, waiting for um, his dad. Waiting and for his then, pap, pap. And we're, we're first kind of just shown that and then really- He wants to meet that dad. Yeah. And we're, from, we're really shown it from, uh, what is her name? Wendy. Wendy. It's so simple. I was, yeah. I was certain it was going to be Sue again, but no. <laughs> From we her perspective, and it, and from her perspective, it's at first just you know, I'm unsure where because it just it's so peppered in through here where it brings up blurps of history because essentially how this, essentially how they they fill you in on this family is not actually what they're doing here. It's actually very clear cut. It's Jack gets the job, finally comes home, kids, you know, gets them up. Heads to there. That's that's the supreme yeah, that's summary of what's going to happen here. Like but in heavily, the final two chapters, they get there and have some conversations with people. There. Yeah, that's what the plot. <clears> that's the, the real streamlined thing. But throughout this, heavily peppered throughout is all the back right. drop, where you get. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say it, and this might burn me because Salem's Lot. After the first episode, I was in the same position. I was like, this was good. Like it established good history in these characters, and I am just hoping this does not bite me. If our next chunk continues to do this exact same thing, I'll just be like, I can't be hurt like this again. Not so soon. Not so soon after Salem's Lot. You know what? Also, I kind of dug about this. Uh, these few, first few chapters in relation to Carrie and Salem's Lot as well is he allowed the main character to have done something bad and not be a complete piece of shit. Right. I, like This might be the first time Stephen King in his career at this point actually writes a character who does not have instant obscene baggage. Like obviously breaking your kid's arm out of anger is terrible. Yeah. But when we were talking about this flashbacks, the kind of root to these flashbacks specifically from Jack's perspective are always preceded by just guilt. Right. It's always at first you're what's described as Jack has guilt. And then you get the flashback, you know, he was in his office one night. Uh, his, um, Danny had gone through all the papers Spilling shit everywhere. Thought he had done something funny and neat. Yeah, he spilled beer on them. Yeah, because it says that it was probably the suds that made mm-hmm. him think it was cool. He goes down, yanks Danny up out of anger, telling them this was not okay. 
realizes he's constricting his hand harder than he means to. And then when he jerks, he just breaks Danny's arm. Right. And then immediately realizes what he did and feels bad. It's not some like he gives into his dark desires or some king twisted thing like that. He feels terrible. And you keep not just having that rammed in that he feels terrible, but then the, all the, all the subsequent consequences, he immediately thought Wendy was going to leave him when that happened. He immediately was like frozen and kind of retreated for a while because he thought it was all going to collapse. And like, it took more events, but he does eventually make the change. He goes <clears throat> clean and that act is also paired with the alcoholism. He, that the story behind that, that you're given is that a kid at school out of spite to him, I guess maybe he was called out or something. I can't remember the specific thing goes to his house and pops his car tires and he grabs up that kid and manhandles him too. Right. Which gets him pulled from the school. Yeah. He gets, he gets fired. The kid was, they were both like, yeah, I think as the book put it is the, the kid was not, was uh, not allowed to come back. Yeah. Um, we eventually find out. And then he he actually technically resigns. Yeah. He worked at a prep school. So it was like a, Actually, pretty prestigious. Which ties into a story you kind of get told from Wendy's perspective, which is of this, like, we got married in sort of college sweetheart way. We had a kid. He then got that job and we were all excited. And then alcoholism both robbed him of his job and he hurt Danny. So you're kind of dealing with a family that he's not a monster, but his alcoholism ruined a lot of shit. And the way... I'm going to give full credit here when I can, because the closer we come to the end of the book, the harder it is generally to praise Stephen King. But um, the way that this was all revealed to you was really well done, because you would get a memory that would give you a whole new layer. And then later you'd see like the things leading up to that or things that shed more light on the situation. And it it was really effective because it was done in digestible bits mm. as opposed to like, Hey, here's a massive lore dump. It was, it was a nice building and seeing various people's perspectives. He's on also it. lightened up on the, <clears throat> it was kind of, it worked specifically well in Carrie because Carrie was a little extreme, but in here he's lightened up on the overdoing the, I'm going to explain people's emotions in parentheses and absurd words. Right. You do see like mental outbursts, but it's not some obnoxious, all the font on the page changes and it's just capitalized screaming in their head. Right. You'll often get something like da 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 parentheses, thinks this, da 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 Like, I think the one that sticks out to me was something like, um, uh, crap, what was it? It was Wendy. I can't remember. It was something like Jack says, but then she goes, yeah, totally. And then it's like parentheses, absolutely not. Like those kind of like mm, inserts mm-hmm. there. This is all peppered out. That's why I'm kind of laying it all out. You, you get layer by layer of the Jack story, how Wendy feels about it. You also, another element of Wendy is that she has not the best with her mother. Brother is one of those people who likes having the child be in a permanent slave position. So she finally, at some point breaks free when she runs away with Jack, but then Danny, she felt was like the way she'd get back with her mother because, you know, it's your grandkid. Yeah, we find out that at a certain point, Jack kind of, like, forced a reconciliation between them. Like, really pushed her into it. There's a bunch of weird stuff with her mom. Like, she gets... I don't remember if this was fully explained. I feel like it's going to come later. But there was, a like, her having flashes of her mom saying that she, as in Wendy, stole her father away from her as her Oh, mom. yeah, absolutely blames her for... That's the that's the linchpin, is the... Uh, you're, you're responsible for our divorce. Right. Wendy's parents divorced. She clearly... She appears to like her father more, and her father seems to be more loving. 
but her mom just accuses her for that and that with Danny it was I'm a better mother and I'm going to tell you why you're not being a great mother to Danny it's just a constant sledgehammer right. of a mom kind of thing yeah and we've covered uh, some stuff that happens in other bits but when we get jumped to chapter four it's oh yeah we... I guess with uh we didn't really actually like point out the Danny thing like he's sitting on the corner mm. <clears throat> we actually slowly get crept into I think the very first instances of Danny's like unique whatever right because he basically hangs out on the corner and there's a point at which he looks back and sees his mom in the window and realizes she's concerned and then you're slowly fed that he feels what other people are feeling right and then he actually makes the comment you know like i know mom's worried that the vw is the volkswagen's broken down or this or that but i know he's fine he's actually almost here right so all the normal story around it but danny is almost immediately you're shown this attribute and danny's yeah i can't remember how old but he's like kindergarten age basically yeah um first grade i think actually because he says I think he that, says he's going into first grade i don't think uh, kindergarten maybe. existed at this time because yeah. he talks about he was in a kid like a kiddie school that right. was at the prep school kind yeah of thing. and i think this is before kindergarten was like a standard yeah, thing yeah dude when i went to kindergarten i was in half day kindergarten that's what i had yeah yeah my uh it was the first time i rode on well obviously the first time i rode on a bus but like then i didn't ride on a bus for the next like nine years but uh I had my, my bus driver once backed, missed my stop, and then backed into a car. Just, like, gonna hit it, trying to get back to my stop. And I was standing there and didn't know what to do, so I just fucking walked off the bus and just wandered over to the babysitter's house, because everyone was freaking out. I just left. <laughs> oh. Fucking buses. I was terrified of school buses for a long time after there. I've been on a school bus when it, was, when it hit shit. That was a car pulling in front while it was pulling out, and it just mm. annihilated it, and the bus had nothing. <laughs> Delightful. I, I, I'm going to get a bus. I, I would destroy things. Yeah. yeah. All right, so, so uh, I've been Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but... Because really... he also does... This is also where you see Tony. Right. Because he also sees Tony down the street that he's waiting on. And this is where you're given fairly quickly the information that Tony is someone out there, if you will, who talks to him. But specifically, first off, he's amazed that Tony followed him. He thought when they moved, because mm -hmm. during that whole prep school thing, they had a place. They've moved here as their kind of like budget thing. And right. This job is going to be some sort of like help. But he makes the comment that Tony followed him. And that was his one friend. But every time Tony shows up, it's like a impulsive glee. And uh, Tony, this is where he gets the um, uh, first creepy sense of the hotel. It says that he sees things in there. He recognizes, or he's shown, what was it? I think he's just shown, like, shots of it. Yeah. Like, like the terrain, it, the inside. It's just if like, they ever like, made a movie out of this, yeah. it'd be done as a very fast montage. <laughs> yeah. And then he's given the first instance of the red rum. Right. Which... Doesn't which just is kind of a thing in the movie, but this book actually sets up the play with that making sense because what you kind of get is that Danny also specifically latches on to the power of words, mm -hmm. and so he describes things like his mom and his dad in terms of like power words almost like mommy is joy, happy, it won't always be like logical sentences, but rather just several adjectives of the mind yeah, state Yeah, like therein. a little bit before this part, when we get the Tony Red Rum thing, he's thinking back to the word divorce. 
And he doesn't know what divorce means. Like, he points out, like, he doesn't even want to know what that word really means. It immediately has a dark power to it, even though he has... Yeah, he goes through the times he's felt the word divorce in his parents, which shows you some of their darker moments. Something you'll see him consistently do is, like, peer into their heads and be like, this is awkward, but they're thinking good thoughts, so I want to keep going on with this. Right. So they're still happy or whatever. I, I have to say... This was incredibly well written. I loved this chapter. Uh, it's, this is mainly happened in like chapter four, which is Shadowlands, when we really start getting we get hints of it before. Yeah, but there's a lot of like things in here. That's that, actually the chapter where he just goes into that whole intense like right. Tony thing and stuff. Yeah, I I really loved the way this was written because this kid thinks he's normal, and he doesn't. He's not old enough to have enough outside perspectives to realize that this isn't normal. And him coping with that is actually really well done. Sort of not like it's it, it's basically like it's, it's a weird fifty fifty in that it's it's like a lot of special kids in that realm with King in that it's he has all the kid elements of naivete and not understanding, but then there's also that weird like automatic intuitive understanding. Mm-hmm. Like he he is coping with it and not knowing certain things, but simultaneously constantly going. I know I sense things. I know they think it's weird, so I'm gonna play it out like this. So it's right. like he knows, but he doesn't know. But um, like, the the red rum thing being weird in the movie, but in this instance being um making more sense was specifically that putting it backwards has a lot more uh uh meaning because instead of it just being like oh mirror it you get immediately get the fact that because he said the word felt the word divorce for example felt dark without knowing what it meant and this word has the same even more intense feeling right. to him but that it's flipped you get the impression that it's flipped to represent he doesn't know what it is yeah and it's like he he describes everything he sees there he keeps see, saying he sees that word in his mind's mirror so it very directly there but i think in a really good way yeah because it really emphasizing that because Divorce, the word is written out normally, he just doesn't understand it. And here's a word that's it's, it's even flipped, because the other thing that he says several times, all the way up to chapter 10, is Tony's told me things before, they don't all come true. Right. And so it also kind of gives the quality of maybe that this word feels avoidable. Like, oh, okay, red rum is, like, not clear, because maybe I could just not let it happen. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to make it... I guess this is the first time we're actually really dealing with, like, powers in relation to prophecy, like, essences, instead of just Fate. mind telepathy elements, yeah. Right. So, if Tony's not always right, maybe you could shift that, but then I have to admit my mind was slightly tainted by your describing of uh, Dr. Sleep to mm. me, in the sense of, like, that purpose of, like, baton handing. That's, that is purely my theory on it. Yeah, so. and, and, I, and I, I was thinking of that because then I was thinking of who we will end up seeing at the end, which is the chef, um, who's one of the people they talk to when they finally get there, and that kind of connection thing. And I was mad at, like, I'll mention it when we get there, but once we, when we, <coughs> the conversation between the chef and the kid is actually somehow even weirder than it is in the movie. Mm. Because the movie, they, they try to actually be a bit private about it, but in this, they just, like, rampantly do it in front of their of his of Danny's parents, and his parents are just like, what the, the yeah, hell? Yeah, yeah. One more thing, I, one line I really liked in this, uh, when he was thinking about Tony, is there's a point at which he says, like, he mentioned something about thinking about tony in the way that lets his mom see her him and like that he doesn't do that anymore and i just thought that was a really interesting 
phrasing for that, and I liked that. Just wanted to point that one. Oh out. yeah, because one of the key things that make them worried about Tony are his little episodes where he kind of like zones out when he sees Tony and then comes back to, and that's the, they they think of those as just some sort of blackout issue. He's deliberately held, withheld, that he knows exactly what's happening every time right. he does it. Yeah, um, we got a little bit of foreshadowing there, basically. From there, we get uh, Jack comes home eventually. Yep. Uh, phone booth, I think is the L- little, chapter name. Little, yeah, a little bonding moment. Um, kind of confirming that this is not like malicious, I don't like my son kind of Jack. Mm-hmm. They go inside, I think he meets Wendy at the door, and I think it's just a kind of a general, I got the... Because I think he calls to say he got the job, that's why they're just waiting on him. And then I think he just gets home and she's making yeah. dinner or something. And then like, I don't remember how much of a time jump there is here, but like, we then get... Um, he discusses it with Wendy, and I think it's the next day. He and Danny go out to a local convenience store to use the phone. And he originally was going to call Allman to tell him he'd take the job. Because he had the talk it over with Wendy and all. And there's a bit there where... Which threw me off a little bit, because I forgot time period. Where he was talking about how Wendy had insisted they have a phone in the house. Mm. And I was like... And it took me a moment because my mind immediately went to like exactly what it was a landline. I was like, well, why would they need one? If I was like, oh, wait, but they don't have cell phones at this time. Why would they not have a land? Oh, right. Older than that. Okay. Yeah, we're yeah. good. We're in, we're in place. But he went there. He went to the general store anyway to make the call. He even questions like, why am I doing this? Like, there's nothing I'm going to say to Allman that's going to upset Wendy. And then he ends up calling his old drinking buddy Al once he gets there. Um, or he tries. I don't. They ever actually talk? I think he just reminisces. Hmm. When he calls, you know, you're not starting to throw me off. You're talking about when he takes Danny with him to the th- the little convenience thing. He says he has to do a call, and mm-hmm. Danny asks him like, "Oh, like some special call?" And like he always does. Yeah. No, he just goes there. He goes to. He tells Danny, "I'll get you uh, a candy when I go." Gets right. my baby Ruth goes up there, pays for it with a five, and gets quarters, and is going there exclusively to call his friend. He's not oh, calling. I thought, I thought there was a bit where he was thinking about. Oh no, he goes there. What, what happens is, is he gets to the booth and he calls and it rings forever. And then the operator's like, "Do you want to keep going?" And he's like, "Yeah, let it keep going." And then when he's about ready to give up, he gets the call through. I and couldn't it, remember if the guy. And it, yeah, no. And his friend answers, and and they go back and forth a bit about uh, you know, thanks for getting me the job because it was his connection. Right. It's actually this friend's connection because this friend is actually well off. Although I. I th- yeah, he was the one guy on the board who voted in his favor. Right. But they were drinking pals, but he got him the job, and uh, he thanks him for it because he actually kind of talks to himself before calling, going, I have to do a mandatory thank you. And then they mention uh, hanging out or whatever. I think it's like a prior or something. Mm. And I was mixed. I couldn't remember whether he picked up or if he just, because there was some reminiscing about their drinking days before, I believe, before the call was picked up. Yeah, yeah. And and he does all that kind of stuff. Up. Yeah, yeah. But, like, we find out that, like, he was the drinking buddy. Um, they get shit faced drunk. And I think this is the first time there's the mention of the accident that we find out eventually led to him sobering up. Right. Because he didn't sober up right after he da- broke Danny's arm. I think it was a couple months later. He and Al were out driving, drunk as shit. And I think Al was driving and they hit a um, bike in a the bike, middle of the road. Kid's bike that was just in the middle of the road. And like they freak. Um, I think they said they spent two hours pulled off the side of the road with flashlights trying to find a fucking kid. Yeah, there was no body or anything. And, like, there's a bunch of this, like, you know, if some kid abandoned it, it would have been on the side of the road, not in the middle, that had to be someone. And they both quit drinking there. 
uh, Al immediately was like, I'm done drinking. And Jack very quickly followed. Um, that actually leads into the scene that I think is referenced like kind of twice. But uh, when Jack's home, this bleeds into a Wendy arc mm-hmm. where she's looked at like how everything seems kind of crappy. What he's done. He's broken his arm. He's ruined. He's an alcoholic. I'm probably going to need to take Danny and go to my mom's as much as I don't want to. She then is about then you get a scene where he's at the table. Uh, Jack is Danny's I think outside playing and Wendy's about ready to turn around and say something you're originally given that angle from Wendy's perspective first but it comes or from Jack's Jack's perspective first it comes to a stop and then you later when there's a I think almost a whole most of a chapter dedicated to essentially Wendy justifying to herself why she's still there and what happens that finishes that scene is that Wendy was going to go we need to get a divorce and because Wendy's chapter is her planning that they she's considering a divorce she turns to jack and he goes give it a week and then you can ask me just just promise me just do me a favor give me a week and then you can ask me that thing well he cold turkey suddenly stops drinking he keeps hanging out with his friend and she keeps wanting to believe there's alcohol in his breath every time he comes back from it because that's the drinking friend but he's never drinking and so she kind of gets this reverse kind of anger where she starts feeling like now I'm sort of being a bitch by wanting... He's trying to change, and I'm going to keep pretending he's right. not. So she kind of guilts herself back into going, okay, I'll stay. We'll keep working this out. We'll see if it and, gets better. Yeah, and throughout there, there was a mention where Danny told his mom that he had a dream that his dad was in an accident. And that was on the same night that he just quit drinking. So she asked him about it, and he says, no, not, nothing happened. But she's also like, but something had to happen. Why did you stop drinking? Yeah. Uh, my call. I think Danny threw that fucking thing in the uh, road with his mind. That's, that's <clears> he might have something right. to do with it in that sense. Tony might have done it. Maybe yeah, like yeah. that kind of. Yeah. Um, because they they put so much emphasis on how weird it was that it was in the middle of the road and not the edge that it's Chekhov's bike. Uh, and I guess to finish off the story, because we keep bouncing between the connection points, the only thing really that I've left is what I said is that Wendy's story leads up to this. This was awkward. It, it essentially is a sort of collection of Wendy talking about how, like I said, all the negatives, he drank, blah, blah, blah. But then she conjures up, well, you know, I still love him. I, of course, love Danny. That's why I stayed for a good bit at first. And then furthermore, but I what I really love is Jack and Danny together. He's actually a really good father to Danny otherwise than that incident. Right. And this is all weirdly framed by they're laying next to each other in bed and uh, King thinks it would be an interesting framing device to to start out a phrase with his jizz uh, dripping out of her and then ending that chapter with his jizz is now dried on her leg and she's happy. Uh, I was like... That, I forgot. That's an interesting framing device. Start in that position, have her reminisce about the situation and feeling good about Jack to end with, well, now it's dry on her leg and she's feeling good. Uh, I was yeah. like, I was like, I know King always has to like perv out somewhere in there. So I assume this was this instance. I, uh, this is only tangentially related, but I've been doing like an informal poll. I need to know which of these phrases is worse. So your opinion is... Which phrase is worse, joshing off or jacking around? Because they're both pretty vile. Because I was actually going to say that, and I was like, is there even a better way to describe that particular scene? I, I don't remember the exact words he uses to describe it, but it doesn't like seem any like you know p- more PG or something. Yeah, it's quite literally. Yeah, basically they've done it. She's rolled over, and then she's just feeling happy about stuff. Yep. 
Um, and then from there we get, I think our next bit, we get like a, them driving to the overlook, which kind of just reinforced like, Hey, here's the point at which uh, we can no longer drive when it's winter. Remember this point. This is how far we are. It's basically Wendy kind of freaking out because the car is putzing out. Jack going, no, it can make it. And Danny, uh, like, sensing borderline impending doom because all that stuff Tony showed him makes him really freaked out. And as they get closer, he kind of senses it a bit more. And it's just kind of like that across the car ride. Yeah, they stop on, like, a scenic overlook of the overlook. Danny has a bit of a freak out. Then they keep going. Yeah, Wendy's like, ooh, wow. Yeah, they, they... It's a bit of the positivity because she's still also kind of feeling bummed about this, but she gets there and it's so grandiose and spectacular that, it, you know, maybe it might actually be okay. Yeah. And then uh, they round the corner right into our last two chapters. I like to throw one good transition in every episode to keep people on their toes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Then I like to ruin it by pointing it out. <laughs> so what were we talking about? Oh, right. Hi, I'm Anthony. Welcome to Hole in the Wall Book Club. Uh <laughs> I wasn't even right. Like, <laughs> I got it wrong in making the wrong... I'm out. Finish this off. So so they uh, they get there. There doesn't really seem like there's any like unwinding scene. They just kind of go in through the front doors. They find Ullman. Yeah. And like it's... I think it's the last... It's clo- I think it's called... Seriously, did he name that check chapter checking it out? I think so. Wow. Okay. I could write a book. They basically they basically get in there and they notice that it's actually much more hectic than Jack expected because it's actually the everyone leaving rush. Right. So we make a comment about some nuns sitting around a fire giggling and that they all have to be at least 60 years old. And it just kind of like an observation sort of part of this until they uh, Ullman shows up. And we see a very different side of Ullman. Like everything we've seen of Ullman up to this point, it's like he is the front of house, like the the face of this hotel he sounds like he is running this into the ground just by being an ass. And then you see him exposed to customers. You're like, oh, he is like no, it's genetically exactly engineered to be the perfect butt. That, that, that's why I was that's that's kind of the feeling I got from him in the beginning. He was that like no one who works with him is particularly fond of him, but he's the supreme ass kisser. And in which case we do get a scene of this. Ullman comes up and tells them like, OK, I, want, I need to do a little bit <coughs> last few little bits before you all, you know, I leave and I set you all up. And then a uh, bellboy comes up to him and is like, Mrs. So-and-so, a really snobbish, you know, fur-wearing... I believe her name was Karen. Yeah, woman is... Uh, she only pays with American Express, and they've stopped using, accepting American Express. And so the he's like, I'll take care of it, walks over. She goes off on a tangent about, I've been, I've been coming here for the past bajillion years, only paying American Express. Whispers, talk, talk, talk. She seems happy. He leads her into the office, and Ullman vanishes into there. I believe... I don't, do they just stand there or do they end up doing something? I mean, it's we get it's not much here. It's just them getting there. Yeah, yeah. But basically, um, when it comes back out. The woman's happy. I she think they just stand on her there, face. Yeah. She's coming out. Oh, you do also get a bit of Danny here. This is where he's kind of like Danny is a charming young man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is where you get and you also get the weird comment as if Ullman might be a creep. Yeah, because they make this comment where like his reaction to Danny is they say Danny's really good bait for this essentially is what he says. I'm going to I'm going to like for now write that off as an old time colloquialism that didn't translate well. And just yeah. hope. <laughs> just hope because I don't think Allman's sticking around. I think after like this, we might see him like one more time and then yeah. he's I think gone. But when the the 
snobby lady leaves she, the danny picks up on that she wants to get in the pants of the one of the, the bellboys i think specifically the driver who brought the car around right and he's just like why would she want to get in his pants is she cold she could just wear pants mommy wears pants and that was an amusing little like yeah i picked up a line without understanding the words kind of thing but uh he comes back out and i think it ends up leading to uh when this is what leads to them going and meeting um hallahan the Callahan, kitchen. the kitchen, because Wendy needs to see everything. Right. And this is where we bump into uh, him. And we get behavior that would be, would immediately not fly a couple decades later, where he's like, hey, cute kid. <laughs> hey, jokingly, though, like, <laughs> just kidding, but do you want to go to Florida with me, kid? <laughs> JK, unless? No. Unless? Blatantly, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, he just blatantly mm-hmm. keeps asking the kid if he wants to go to Florida with him. Says, you know, there's a sweet beach, just the weirdest kind of invitation. Here's my itinerary. I'm leaving here in half an hour. Three hours after that, I'll be at this exact gate of this airport. Come to Florida with me, child. And and I think the thing that adds the weirdness to it is that Danny just is, like, giggling. Yeah. This is the, he almost intuitively knows something about this man and is utterly comfortable around him. All the while, Jack and Wendy are like, the fuck? Are you a child predator? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you wanted to go far. But like, they're definitely weirded out because then, you know, he shows Wendy everything. Wendy's amazed. Bajillion steaks, pots, pans. I know all this food. I can't even make this. She makes a joke about making three TV dinners and some mm-hmm. giant ass oven. And then you get this weirdness again because um, at one point he turns around and goes, are you sh- uh, uh, you'd like some particular food or something, Doc? Mm-hmm. And then Jack's like, I don't know if it was Jack or Wendy or like, ah. did you, when, did, how did you know that? When did you, we, how did you know we called him that? And he's like, oh, you know, cause he's like, he's like that kind of kid you'd call he Doc. He looks like a Doc. Yeah, he looks like, like a Doc. And then they clarify that it's Bugs Bunny based and he's like, yeah. Yeah. And then he immediately speaks in Danny's head something and says Doc and Danny like giggles and reacts to it. And it's just like, they're now they're immediately mind linking. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, <clears throat> hey. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey, can you hear me? Can you hear me in your mind? Want to go to Florida? <laughs> he does keep doing that. Mm-hmm. Once the the kind of trick around, a little bit of messing around with Danny, talking to Wendy, being more mesmerized, he does go, last chance, kid. I'm, I'm going to go to Florida. Are you sure you don't want to go? And Danny's just like, eh, I guess not. I guess I'll stay. And it's just like, if, oh, yeah. If the initial interaction, a- you mentioned it being creepy. He actually picks up Danny and like cups Danny's entire body under, like, in his elbow right. lifts him up. And that's, like, the initial weird, like, okay, the, pick up my kid like that, kind of. I'm gonna be honest, if I went, if I could somehow go into The Shining not knowing what the general plot was, this is the point I'd be like, is this a book about a dude trying to steal this child all winter? Because that feels like where the plot's pushing. If you <laughs> also hadn't read any other King. Right, right. But yeah, which, I mean, at this point in the release was true of a lot of people. It's only a third book. I guess, yeah. Like, that's an experience we'll never be able to get, is going into King not knowing King. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder how different that would be. I wonder if it'd almost be off-putting, actually. Too how different? I wonder if there isn't a bit of, like... If, if you could go into a pitch-dark room and enter Stephen King without and, and knowing were... whose writing you were entering, <laughs> would that be different? Yeah. In that description, probably, yeah. If you could glory whole King's books, <laughs> you just peep through a hole and you read a tiny bit at a time. Okay, let's move on before I get sued. 
There's not much to move on to. I think it was pretty close to the end here. No, because uh, he asks, offers the kid that, and then um, I think it... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's how it is. It basically then wraps up with Wendy noticing when they come back out of the kitchen, she notices that a lot of the people are gone. The nuns are gone, a lot of people are gone, and only the final groups of people left. Mm-hmm. And only then does it kind of like... Does she realize that they're going to have this whole hotel to themselves? And it mentions that for a second, she wishes they could just get back in the car and leave. Yeah. And that's kind of how, like, the end of chapter it, 10 is. Our very is. last bit of that chapter is Hallahan one more time being like, okay, kid, fucking seriously, do you want to go to Florida? Blink twice for yes. Okay, no? Okay. Will you carry my bags to my car for me? And he and Danny go off to carry his bags to his car. Oh, yeah, because the um, one of the, I guess, maids of the place tells him his, his stuff's all ready. Yep. And, and they are okay with just letting their kid, like, wander I, off This is what help. I'm saying. I, I feel like... I mean, I understand the I era. Like You're not going to assume terrible stuff. That's the thing. I think one or two decades later, this wouldn't fly. But yeah, so that's where we're at. Like, I enjoyed it. I'm cautiously optimistic I think the jump to the board, my guess, is that Jack ends up being a vampire. <laughs> I think about halfway through the book, we're probably going to have to deal with the Borg. Mm, so. mm, mm. Star Trek was popular at that time. Yeah, I, I think the Borg are probably going to... I don't even know if the Borg existed at that time. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, here's hoping. <laughs> um, so, for the next chunk, you want to do 11 to 17? It's about the same size. Uh, yeah, that's fun. Yeah, uh, if we go through at this pace, we're probably looking six to seven episodes, depending on where the wrap up. This is a this was almost a fifth each time, almost. Yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it so far. I'm optimistic. It's a solid um, book. I already like it more than Salem's Lot. So I'm I think my biggest disappointment is that I'm not allowed to ask you if you want an orange. <laughs> like, I mean, you could ask. You just don't have one. I don't. I don't. Um. And obviously some Pringles, we literally both have them, so. Some cake and caboodle. Mm. I guess uh, until next time, I've been an officious little prick. And you've read the book? Red Rob. Hole in the Wall Book Club is a part of the Isonier Productions Network and produced and edited by Anthony Sheets. The music in this episode is Supernatural Radio by Kevin McLeod. There'll be a link to his license and website in the show notes. If you want to get a hold of us, tweet us at Isonier or send an email to Isonier at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to tell a friend or leave us a review on your podcatcher of choice. Word of mouth and five-star reviews really help us get out in front of more people and let us expand and do more things. More information on the show can be found on IceInTheAir.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.